If you're like me, the first thing you do when traveling is check out what's happening with the local food scene, right? And as I've been planning my big book tour and live podcast tapings all around the country, man, I am very excited to eat my way across the nation. There's Atlanta, there's Miami, and so many more. Going to local restaurants gives you a great taste of that place. And if you pay your bill with the Delta Sky Miles Platinum Amex, you get double miles at restaurants. Getting a taste of local food is the best way to get to know the local culture. And if you travel, you know that's how it's done. The Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card. If you travel, you know. I am extremely excited about what's going on at Whole Foods Market right now. It is the Taste the Mediterranean sales event, a store-wide, flavor-packed journey of regionally-inspired selections. Save on Mediterranean-inspired flavors like Parmigiano-Reggiano, Charcuterie, Whole Branzino, Sustainable Wild-Caught Sockeye Salmon. Right now, they're on sale at Whole Foods, okay? Wines from the sun-soaked vineyards of Spain, Greece, and Italy start at just $8.99. Must be 21 plus. Please drink responsibly. Taste the Mediterranean now at Whole Foods Market. All right, well, come on in. I got yeah. something for you to try real quick. Oh. Let's see. Potatoes with lamb's quarters and ramps and acorn flour pancakes. Oh, my God. Did you make this? Yes. yes. And this is this all the stuff you foraged? Some of it. Yeah, some of it. This is Jay Marion. He lives in Verona, Virginia, in the Shenandoah Valley. Jay is a forager. He searches the yeah, woods so and fields for all kinds of wild ingredients to sell and to eat. I visited him at his home. I feel like there's a lot more going on here with the acorn flour than a typical plain old white pancake. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's really so good. So this is, this is walnuts that came from local walnut trees. Oh, you get little, little formerly honey bear plastic yeah, jars yeah, that are yeah. filled with, what's that liquid in there? It is honeysuckle syrup. Wow. Now you can taste this. Now the, yeah. the flavor is very mild, but you can taste the honeysuckle flour in it. There you go. Should I just drink it straight? Yeah, give that a whirl. All See right. What you think. Honeysuckle syrup. Oh, my gosh. Mm. Yeah, it's nice, huh? I like that it's not so thick and syrupy. It's like right. it's like sweet, but sort of like light. You can cook it down and make it thicker. Right. But I like a little thin stuff for, for lots of different things. Put it on ice cream. You can just make a drink out of it. Put it in mixed drinks. Right. <laughs> so this, yes. this your, your whole house here, Jay... You got all kinds of jars and containers with all different liquids and all different herbs and every which nook and cranny. Pretty much. It looks to me like a mad scientist laboratory. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> there's a there's wine brewing somewhere all the time. <laughs> this is the Sporkful. It's not for foodies, it's for eaters. I'm Dan Pashman. Each week on our show, we obsess about food to learn more about people. This week, I'm talking with Jay Marion. As I said, he lives in Verona, Virginia, in the Shenandoah Valley, and he owns his own foraging business, Digger Jay's Wild Edibles. No, not that kind of edibles. Literally food growing wild in nature that he sells to chefs and other folks. Today, we'll hear the story of how Jay built that business and the struggles he's faced along the way. In recent years, foraged ingredients have become all the rage in high-end restaurants, the whole hyper-local farm-to-table thing. Of course, we humans have been foraging pretty much forever, it's less common in America today, but Jay's family never really stopped. What he finds depends on the season, but he gets things like morel mushrooms, dandelion greens, truffles, berries, and ramps, which are wild onions that chefs really like, but they have a very short season. When Jay's got the time, he'll go deep into the woods and spend eight or ten hours gathering wild edibles. Today, we just had a couple hours, so we hopped into Jay's van so he could take me to some of his favorite local spots. So there is 
goodies everywhere. So where are we headed, Jay? Well, we're gonna go down here to an old, old, old farm, walk back in here and we'll get a few things. We're probably gonna look and see- Jay's 63. He spent most of his life in this area. Driving around with him, it feels like he knows every bush and tree. And everywhere he looks, he sees food. Like those trees right there are autumn olives, which is really invasive. That's not native to this country, but they're still here and they still produce a good food. Then there's cattails and more cattails and cattails are nice and they're edible. Cattails are like reeds, they grow in wetlands and autumn olives, I would learn, aren't olives at all, they're berries. Lots of people, believe it or not, don't use any of these, this fruit. It's just there and it produces fruit and it falls on the ground and that's it. I just look across the street at this stoplight, I see a Dollar General over there. I was reading an article recently that um, more Americans get their groceries from dollar stores than from Whole Foods. You get a lot of your groceries from Mother Nature. Yes, and it's all seasonal, so nowadays we can get whatever we want, whenever we want, so we overindulge most of the time. Right. And we can see the results of that of uh, unhealthy America. And what do, you, what do you make of that, that so many Americans are getting their groceries at dollar stores? Well, that, that I get because it's about money. It's about, it's cheaper there. I mean, in today's world, it's, everything costs so much, it's tough for anybody to make a living or much less survive. People make choices all the time about, well, do I buy groceries, do I buy heat, or do I buy my medicines? And that's not a good choice. Should, nobody should have to make that choice. See those orange fruit on them trees right there? Oh yeah. Those are persimmons. Really? Uh, yeah, now those won't be ripe until after it gets cold. It's got a frost on them. Love Because they're real, real astringent. But these are native and they are super, super sweet. They're one of my favorite fruits. Yeah, persimmons are great. I feel like when we're driving around here, I, I just see trees and I imagine that you have sort of like Terminator vision. <laughs> like. You know, <laughs> right? I get what you're saying. Yeah, like, like you like zero in on a branch and like do 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 target yeah. acquired. <laughs> yeah, I have got one of my friends rise with me. He's like, it's gonna take me a while to get that filter like you got. Yeah, yeah. But I guess I've just been you know doing it all my life, so I see everything. We turned into the driveway for an office park. This was not what I imagined when I pictured foraging. But the road took us past a big office building, past a factory, around a bend, to a dead end. And there it all was. To one side was a big open field with tufts of trees and bushes here and there. To the other side, woods as far as you could see. So Jay, while we're walking and foraging, can you also tell me your life story? Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's see. My grandfather was born in 1895. Jay's grandfather grew up in West Virginia. His grandparents came to Virginia during a logging boom in the early 1900s. And he went off to war, fought in World War I. And when he came back, he worked for the Forest Service over in West Virginia the rest of his life. And so when I knew him, he never worked. He had retired by then. He was old enough to retire. So they took me everywhere and showed me all these cool things out here. When did you first start foraging? 
My grandparents started teaching me that before I was five years old. So I've been learning. I started learning from them, and I've learned all my life. Uh, mainly when I was younger, it was all about, hey, you can eat this, you know, and it was cool because you could find stuff to eat and supplement your food with that, which we did. My grandmother was a great cook, so she'd make jams, jellies, homemade bread. Jay's grandmother canned berries and used them all winter long. Their family lived 40 miles away from the nearest grocery store, so they couldn't get there very often. Foraging was a necessity. After a period of time, then, you know, the grocery stores and all that, the markets and things started evolving, so it became less and less and less necessary. It's easier to go to the grocery store. A lot easier. So, I mean, you could go to the grocery store too, Jay. Why, what do you like about doing this? Uh, I like getting out. I like seeing things and learning about new things. And then when I, when I do, I can share it with people. more people I can get the word out to, the more stuff I can get out to where they can taste it, they can realize that, hey, there's something out here and it's good. You know, it's not just about the rat race and going to the grocery store. It's, there's, there's more out here. Mother Nature offers us a lot. You know, God has put a stuff out here. And uh, paradise is translated to garden, right? So, and the garden is here. It's everywhere. We just have to slow down enough to see it and enjoy it. There you go. Now here's your autumn olive. See these? These little red berries. There's not a lot on these, but some of these trees will be absolutely loaded. So, and they have little stickers on them, so you gotta watch, but you just slide your hand down and just work your, like that, and you'll get the little berries will fall into the... As soon as I saw these red berries, I was like, oh, autumn olives. We had these where I grew up in New Jersey. These are the berries my mother told me never to eat. Taste that. Try one. They're tart, mm. but they're good. They're real good. Oh. They got a really interesting kind of mouthfeel. Yeah. Now, see it's, some It's tart, but also it sort of like kind of sticks in your mouth in a way that's kind of very... Tart and sweet. Yes. Kind of at the same time. There's a lot going on in one of those. What do you cook with an autumn olive? Well... Anything you do with berries? Pretty much. They make an excellent little tart. So take a little, one of those little ones about, I don't know, what, three or four inches, small tart with a graham cracker crust, chop up and cook some apples. And it doesn't take much, maybe a quarter inch on the bottom of the pan, the pie shell. And then you cook these and run them through a sieve because you can see they have seeds in them, right? And get that out. So all you have the pulp, and then you put that in your pie pan right over top of your apples and then put, cut three little apples pieces kind of make it look like a leaf, and then you just bake it. Man, are they good. It's almost like strawberry rhubarb. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, that, yeah maybe there's a little bit of rhubarb yeah, flavor with yeah, these. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it, I it can kinda, see that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So Jay grew up foraging with his grandparents, but then he moved away from it. He went to college, studied global business management, got a series of jobs overseeing operations at factories and warehouses. Imports and exports and law enforcement and military-type gear. He got married had a family, got divorced. My first marriage broke up, and uh, that was rough. What did you learn from that experience? Everything has something good in it. Whether we see it or not, it does. 
it's but it's hard to go through we just have to go through it and drive on just and but it's i thought as i got older life would get simpler and easier but it doesn't it gets more complicated in 1992 jay got remarried to his current wife pam a few years later he was working for a military contractor one random night he was watching tv i was watching uh, andrew zimmern you know the uh, bizarre foods guy right you travel all over the world you yeah know, all kinds of things. And i'm looking at that i'm like wait, I know some of that stuff. We can do this. And I was always wondering if there was a market for it. And all of a sudden I seen him and it's like, well, yeah, there is. So that's when I really started pushing it kind of passionately for, to make extra money with, you know, to supplement my income. That was the first time you saw that it could be a business. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can, I knew I could make some money, but you know, it, it, you can make a good bit of money if you really do it right and have the time to, and the network so you can make that distribution. So you see this Bizarre Foods episode and a, kind of a light bulb goes off. Yeah. And you think there's a business here. Right. About when was that? That had to be in the late 90s. So what happens next? I actually start picking up the phone, calling any restaurant and asking, hey, would you guys like whatever it might be? And a lot of chefs, believe it or not, don't know how to use this stuff. They go to culinary school, but they have no idea how to use some of our natural goodies. You know, it's a lost art. But some of them said yes, because there's some creative chefs out there like this stuff. In 2007, Jay officially set up his business, Digger Jay's Wild Edibles. He started selling to James Beard-nominated chefs all over the region, in Stanton, Lexington, and Charlottesville. In an article about Jay, one chef said when he shows up at the back door with a bag full of fresh morel mushrooms, as a chef, it's kind of like you start hearing bells. Jay can consistently find world-class ingredients just by going for a walk in the woods. What were some of the dishes that some of the high-end chefs were making with your ingredients? Uh, they would do, um, I know there's one place over in Charlottesville that used ramps and morels and stuff like that and the chanterelles in their um, pasta because it's like an Italian restaurant. So they, they would make dishes with that. And uh, some of them would make, uh, just put them on sandwiches. Some of them would make the traditional, you know, like potatoes and ramps and stuff like that. Uh, some people make um, apple pies and some uh, cakes and stuff like that, some desserts with some of the stuff. But so late 90s, early 2000s, this is a time when organic food is starting to take off. Like, you were early to this trend. What's the business in those early days? It was good. I had, and it was uh, the demand's stronger than I can go do by myself. So I would say, hey, guys, you live here. If you get me this and this and this, I'll buy it from you. And a lot of those people don't work very much. You know, they're mountain folk, and they just they work here and there, spotty jobs or, you know, something like that. So it's a, a supplement to their income. You know, young families and stuff. And, yeah, they make pretty good money doing it. As the business grew, Jay's wife, Pam, helped out a lot, too. She would clean and help prep and prepare and stuff like that, too. There's some wild grapes. I've got plenty of grapes. I'm not going to harvest any of those. I don't need any of those right now. Uh, in the springtime, and if you had the people that could really get this stuff out, like ramps, I mean, they love ramps. And, and you could sell hundreds of pounds of them easy in a day. Jay and Pam's business kept growing. Pretty soon, they were shipping all over the country. Jay says they were making twenty or $25,000 a year foraging, about a quarter of their income. 
They both still had day jobs, but they were ready to take the foraging business to the next level. I was hoping to probably get like a storefront and a finished product. We could do raw goods to those who wanted it and offer jars of jellies and syrups to those who would want that. So you'd have like the fresh foraged wild edibles, you'd have some prepared foods, maybe yep. a little restaurant yep. set up. Yep, yep. That was the dream. That was the the, the vision, yes. <laughs> Coming up, everything changes. Stick around. Hope you're hungry, because it's time for some ads. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, a business tripper, or a long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. They've got over 7,000 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels, and you will get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. I especially love those Cambria Hotels. They have locally inspired hotel bars with all kinds of specialty cocktails, downtown locations right in the center of all the action. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces. That way, if you're a business traveler, you'll be able to get all your work done. On-site restaurants, fantastic. And then at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles and great pools for the whole family and spacious rooms. I mean, if you have kids, you understand the importance of the pool. If you stay at a hotel with a pool, Almost nothing else matters. Fortunately, all the Choice Hotels take care of all the other stuff, too. But, I mean, a pool is a great start. Whatever kind of vacation you're going on, whatever kind of travel you're doing, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travels come true. Recently, I went into my closet to try to get a collared shirt out, and it occurred to me that I don't think I have bought a new collared shirt in five years. I mean, (laughs) every shirt in there was either really old, or it had some kind of perma-stain situation, or it probably never fit right in the first place, I got to freshen up a little bit here. It's time for something new, right? And spring is coming. Now is the time if you've been looking to refresh your wardrobe, home, or skincare and beauty routines this season. Because, you know, Walmart has genuinely surprising style finds that don't break the bank. This spring, there's only one destination for the latest fashion, home, and beauty inspired by real life. Walmart. I freshened up my wardrobe. I got some nice dress shirts, a couple light hoodies. You know, you need light hoodies for the springtime. Very useful, very comfortable. Discover surprisingly stylish new season favorites at Walmart now or shop it all on the Walmart app. Go to walmart.com slash now trending. That's walmart.com slash now trending. Now trending, your style at Walmart. It's been chilly here in the Northeast lately, and we have been on a big grilled cheese dipped into tomato sauce kick here in the Pashman household. And I'm making the grilled cheese with Hero sliced bread. The kids like the Hero classic white bread. I like the Hero seeded bread. It's fluffy. The crust is just right. And I like that the slices are sliced just a little bit thicker than a lot of other sliced breads. You griddle it in butter. You add some cheese. You dip it in the soup. Phenomenal. And all the Hero breads are low in net carbs, and they're high in fiber. All these Hero Breads are delicious and flavorful. They'll give you that soft, fluffy experience you love when enjoying a refreshing BLT, savory breakfast burrito, or mouth-watering cheeseburger. So whether you're making homemade grilled cheese, BLT, maybe a tuna melt sounds nice on some Hero seeded bread. I bet that would be really good. Maybe you're doing sliders and the Hawaiian rolls. Whatever it is, Hero has the bread for you. Don't give up being a breadhead. And Hero Bread is offering 10% off your order. Go to Hero.co and use code SPORKFUL at checkout. That's code SPORKFUL at H-E-R-O dot C-O. 
I just got a very wonderful shipment of goodies from the folks at Reese's. And let me tell you something. These people remain the absolute worldwide leaders in bringing together chocolate and peanut butter. Of course, we know that peanut butter cups remain transcendent. But have you tried the Reese's Sticks? Their wafers with peanut butter in between each wafer, all coated in chocolate? I mean, the combination of sweet chocolate and salty peanut butter just brings people joy, and the folks at Reese's do it better than anyone. So shop Reese's Peanut Butter Cups now at a store near you. Found wherever candy is sold. Welcome back to The Sporkful. I'm Dan Pashman. In last week's show, I go to a famous pickle festival on Long Island, near where I live. There's actually a history of pickles on Long Island, and there's one pickle farmer story that really caught my attention a few years back. His name is Samuel Balton. He escaped slavery, eventually making his way to New York and starting his own cucumber farm. He was so successful, one newspaper called him the Pickle King. But for a long time, his story was mostly unknown, including to his own descendants. Now that's changing. His great-great-great-granddaughter Leanne learned the story just a few years ago. I was like... Wait, what? I love pickles. Do you mean that I could possibly be the pickle princess? This is amazing. I hope you'll check this one out. I think the story of Samuel Balton tells us a lot about black contributions to American food and how these stories are told. That one's up now. Check it out. Now, back to the show. Back to Virginia's Shenandoah Valley and Jay Marion. As you heard... Jay had the foraging knowledge he got from his grandparents and the business sense to get in early on a growing trend. Digger Jay's wild edibles was not yet at the point where it could support Jay and his wife, Pam, but it was a growing side business. The goal was that one day it would become their full-time work. In the fall of 2017, Jay was profiled by the website Gastro Obscura with the headline, The Mountain Man Who Makes Chef's Wild Dreams Come True. But even as that piece came out, Things were starting to come apart. It could have grown a lot more, but things, you know, I don't have the money or or the time to drive it. Why isn't Jay able to drive it? The answer has to do with Pam, his wife of 27 years. I guess the big part was when she finally got sick enough where she couldn't work and then didn't have an income. Pam developed an autoimmune disease in 2017. She couldn't help with the foraging business and had to leave her day job, so the couple lost her salary. There was no way Jay could run the foraging business and hold down a day job on his own. We, we've kind of struggled all our lives, you know, working together and trying to both go towards the same goal of success, whatever that success might have been. Then when she got sick enough where she was in the hospital and had to move out, and then that loss of income was really pretty much the devastating point you know that was the part that like okay now there is no money for nothing but just try to survive meanwhile pam's health kept getting worse she was had so much pain in the back of her head like right in here that she couldn't function without heavy narcotics it's all of a sudden it's like she really got sick and she really lost a lot of weight she wasn't eating or nothing and um It almost took her away. This past spring, in the middle of this struggle, Jay got the opportunity he had dreamed of. Remember how he wanted to open his own place where he could sell foraged ingredients, prepared foods, make it a little restaurant? Well, the owner of a nearby cafe came to Jay with an offer. She's like, well, I'm closing it. 
I'd rather see you do it than anybody else. And I told him, I was like, man, I don't have any money to do this. No investors, no backup money or nothing like that. And it's like, it's got to pay for itself. At that point, it's been almost 20 years since you saw that Bizarre Foods episode. Yeah, probably. And you've been working towards this goal of having your own shop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like, well, okay, here's an opportunity. Uh, maybe it's meant to be. Most restaurants don't turn a profit right off the bat. You need a loan or an investor or money in the bank when you start to give you time to build a following. Jay didn't have that. So I knew from, unless it really got busy, it wasn't going to do it. In April, Jay reopened the restaurant in downtown Verona, serving Appalachian comfort food. Things like a country ham sandwich using local pork and dandelion soup. People came in. Things were going pretty well. But not well enough. Four months after opening, the cafe closed for good. Jay didn't even have time to start selling his own wild edibles there. And I think if I had the money to invest in it and keep it going, it would be good because the potential's there. I just didn't have the money to take out of my pocket and put into it to keep it going, you know. So I was chasing my tail with payroll, so I couldn't do it. To be honest with you, it was, um, it was a relief. It was a financial burden. The work burden, I don't, I'm, work is easy. But the financial part and and that the risk was greater than the payout, so I'm like, eh, okay, this is this is I'm done. We got to be done. Pam's illness and her missing income had already emptied their savings. The restaurant left Jay buried in bills. Today, Pam is living at her dad's house, ten miles away, because he's able to take care of her while Jay works. Pam and Jay don't get to see each other that often. I talk to her. But I, I usually work, come home, and go to bed. Work, come home, and go to bed. And every once in a while, I get to go out and do stuff like this. Pam's condition is stable, but she has flare-ups that put her back in the hospital. Jay's working at Lowe's Hardware as much as he can, sometimes six or seven days a week, to pay the bills. And as he explained when we got back in the van, that doesn't leave much time for foraging trips like this one. Logistically, right now, just with just me and my hours that I work at Lowe's, it's almost impossible to do this because this takes a certain amount of time to do it right and keep the quality level up man it's without anybody to help you it makes a difference these days jay says he manages to go foraging maybe once or twice a month he's not selling to anyone now he rents a room of his house on airbnb and when people stay there he cooks for them using his wild edibles the rest of what he finds he eats himself after a bit more driving, we turned down a dirt road. We were arriving at one of Jay's favorite spots. This is a pear tree. Nobody, up till last year, nobody's got the pears off of it but me. My oh, gosh, look at them. There's bushels and bushels and bushels on there. Oh, man. And they are really good pears. And the persimmons, look at the persimmons up on that tree. Oh my, that must be a thousand persimmons in that tree. Probably so. Isn't that crazy? It, it looks almost like it's lit up with Christmas lights. Yeah, yeah, it does. But And nobody uses them. That thing's just drooping with fruit. Yeah, the whole this whole pear tree is like sagging over because it's got so many pears on it. It's, it's nuts, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so you can get bushels and bushels and bushels of pears right here. And, you know, otherwise, nobody would use them or enjoy them. Right. 
when they fall, they usually are so heavy. Oh, look at that. They're, it's raining pears. They, um, they bust. See that? Oh, yeah. But that would make good pear wine. There's a bakery over in Charlottesville that she takes them and she makes some nice stuff with them. Right, yeah. right. So, I mean, I can't help but sort of notice a certain irony, Jay, because it's like your, your grandparents foraged out of necessity. Your, for your parents, it was a little more of a hobby. Something they yeah. loved, but they didn't need to do it. Right. Because they were sort of moving up the socioeconomic ladder. They, mm -hmm. were, they went to college. Mm -hmm. They were, you know, science. They worked in science. Right, right, right. And then you end up in a situation where you have to forage partly for necessity. Correct. Yeah. How did that feel? Oh, it's okay. It feels okay. I mean, I like doing it, so it's not bad. It's a nice office, you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, it is gorgeous out yeah, here right now. Yeah, and it does help pay the bills. I guess it'll get better. I think, you know, someday it'll get better. You know, everything has its... Sometimes you're in the mud, and sometimes you're up on top of the wheel, and some, you know, just keeps going. <laughs> when they fall, they usually... Despite all those pears in the tree, Jay only took maybe not, 10 of them. He doesn't have time to sell bushels and bushels. He's too busy working. I asked him what kind of future he sees for his foraging business. Not 100% sure. Uh, I've tried to teach my son, I've tried to teach my grandsons about it, so maybe they'll step up and, and try to make something. It's not about the money. So, I mean, you got to make money because you got to pay your bills. I get that. And that's not what I'm saying. But it's, if, it's, if it's totally money-driven, then you're going to miss the part of the goodness of it. And so what is that for you? What is, the, what is the service? What's the goodness of this work for you? To have people enjoy it, that, that can take it from that tree to a chef or a pastry maker or somebody that can make jams and jellies. And then they can do their thing and get it out to other people who would never, ever tasted what come off of that tree. That's the payout. That's Jay Marion. His company is Digger Jay's Wild Edibles. We originally aired this episode in 2019. We got back in touch with Jay recently, and he told us that he's still doing some work as Digger Jay's. He's trying to reestablish his restaurant connections. He started dabbling in making wine and mead, and he's working on a cookbook and other writing about his foraging adventures. He told us, quote, I'm always looking to grow and try new things, exploring ways to touch and improve someone's day or life, even for just a moment. That gives me great satisfaction. Jay also tells us that his wife, Pam, is doing much better than she was a few years ago. Next week on the show, the writers Jai Young Fan and Samantha Irby take your calls. They'll help you try to solve some food disputes and weigh in on your hottest food takes. It's going to be a lot of fun. That's next week. While you're waiting for that one, make sure you check out last week's show about the surprising history of the pickle king of Long Island. This show was originally produced by me along with... Ngofen Putubwele. And... Harry Huggins. The show was edited by Tracy Samuelson and Halle Bay Ramdi. It was mixed by... Jared O'Connell. The Sporkful team now also includes Emma Morgenstern and Andres O'Hara. Music help from Black Label Music. The Sporkful is a production of Stitcher Studios. Our executive producers are Nora Ritchie and Colin Anderson. Until next time, I'm Dan Pashman. This is Suzanne Bakush from Ann Arbor, Michigan. Remember to eat more, eat better, eat more better.
At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.